So last week, uh, we looked at the first eight verses of, of James chapter one. We talked about how both joy and wisdom are necessary in the midst of our trials and how God is the source of both. So we need to look to God both for the joy and for the wisdom that we uh, need uh, in those trials. And God uses our trials. Uh, we can count them as joy because he uses our trials to test our faith to strengthen our endurance, and to make us complete in Christ. And so today we're going to look at James chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. And James is going to continue this, um, this opening thought that he has about trials. He made this, this argument that we need wisdom in the first eight verses, and now he's going to apply this wisdom. He's going to apply wisdom to, um, to, to life and to, to trials in, our, in the, the, the verses that we're going to look at today. And so we're going to see that, um, that wisdom in our trials actually helps us keep a perspective on, uh, or the right perspective on life itself and, and the trials that, that come and go in our lives. Uh, it's going to give us the right perspective on temptation that we feel and face in our trials. And then it's going to give us the right perspective on, on um, who God is in, the, in our trials so that we can actually endure uh, in the midst of these things. So I actually want to read all of, uh, of, of the last, or of um, verses 2 through 18 so that we can get this again in its context and be reminded of what, what he said last week because it, it, it's continuing the argument. It's, it's a continuing uh, flow into what we're reading this week. And then I want to pray and then we'll just kind of dig in this morning. So James chapter 1, starting in verse 2, after the greeting in, in verse 1, starting in verse 2. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking, in, uh, lacking nothing. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like the flower of a field. For the sun rises, and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass, its flower falls off and its beauty and, and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Blessed is the one who endures trials because he, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God since God is not tempted by evil and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful that we have been given birth into a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We're thankful for your word that is truth. We're thankful for uh, how you use it to, uh, to draw us uh, deeper into our union with Christ, to know him and know the power of his resurrection and to know the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. And so we pray that as, uh, as we go through your word today, that your spirit would give us the wisdom that we need and that would uh, enlighten our hearts, that we might know you better, that we might have a better understanding of our trials, including the, the uh, present one that we uh, are enduring and continue to endure. We thank you that you are with us and that, you, uh, that your spirit dwells in us and, uh, and unites us together, even through computer screens this morning. We ask this and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, wisdom in our trials gives us this, this perspective on life. And, and, and having this, this right perspective on life actually kind of reveals this wisdom that we need. So um, verses 9 through 11, let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises and together with the scorching wind, uh, dries up the grass, its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. This is a call here. This, it, it sounds almost like, like James is, is changing directions, but it's a continuation. So uh, in verse eight, he talks about um, being thrown back and forth by the wind, being unstable and, and double-minded double in all his ways coming to God and asking for faith uh, or asking for wisdom in faith, um, but not doubting. And so um, the, these, these verses here, if, if we remember from last week, one of the things that, that the um, churches that he's writing to or the Christians that he's writing to were dealing with, one of the struggles that they had was poverty and, and, and this, this temptation toward um, drawing into worldly desires and, and wealth and those kinds of things. And so this is a call here, even as he's telling them to seek God in faith for wisdom without doubting, don't waver, don't be blown around by the wind uh, of, of knowledge in every way, right? Um, this is a call here in these verses for confidence in God rather than in worldly things. So it's just a continuation of that thought. Some believers are experiencing poverty Others are, are pursuing worldly wealth, and so he's addressing both of those things. Both the poor and the rich, though, are equal before God. They both need wisdom from God. You can't buy wisdom, uh, and uh, it's given to us only from God. Um, you can't buy your way out of suffering. So in that sense, their status has nothing to do with their endurance of the trial. Um, it has, but but being given the wisdom that we need, being seeking the Lord in faith um, is, is what will help them through that. Luke 14, 11, Jesus says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So the poor here, James is telling them, those in a humble circumstance, they are to boast in their union with Christ and, and allow Christ to lift them up. He's the one that will exalt them as they humble themselves. And then the rich are, are to boast in their union with Christ who humbled himself. And so 
Um, it's not about their, their position uh, materially that they should boast in. It is Christ alone that they should boast in. And how um, in both cases, uh, Christ remains the focus. Whether I'm wealthy or whether I'm poor, if I'm enduring a trial, it's because I'm fixed on Christ and I'm humbling myself before him, not because I'm relying on, on things that fade away. And, and earthly things. And so that's the other reminder, wealth and life, both wealth and life are fleeting, James says, right? And so uh, Psalm 90 verse 12 says to teach us, teach us to number our days. This is a prayer. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Psalm 39 verses four and five, Lord, make me aware of my end and the number of my days so that I will know how short lived I am. In fact, you have made my days just inches long, and my lifespan is nothing, is as nothing to you. Yes, every human being stands as only a vapor. So here's the perspective. If my lifespan is, is only a, a blip on the radar of eternity, how much more so then are my trials? Just a tiny, tiny blip on that. Trials can be incredibly intense. We all understand this. We all have, have gone through different trials specific to our lives that have, have truly tried and tested us and have worn us out and worn us down. The intensity is um, at times unbearable. Um, but ultimately, that trial will not last forever. A particular trial can last my whole life, but that trial ultimately won't last forever. And so our goal is not just simply to endure the end of, of, a, of a trial, to get to the end of a trial, but to uh, endure to the end of life, no matter how many trials come and go. As, as Christians, we're called um, to a life in some sense of suffering with Christ. That doesn't mean it's, it's, um, I mean, James starts off by saying, count it joy, right? And so, uh, so it's not a, a life of, uh, of despair and, and um, loneliness and all of these things. This, that's not a, a pessimistic view, uh, but it is a biblical view. It is something that we need to understand. Romans 8 talks about that, that, that we suffer with him uh, and, and all over the place. God, God actually tells um, in Acts, when he when he's, uh, talks about Paul, he says, I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. And you see all of life, all of Paul's life uh, from then on out is just one trial after the other, after the other, after the other, that the Lord gives him endurance through so that Jesus can be made known to, uh, to, to all kinds of people in all kinds of places. And so our goal is not just simply to endure to the end of a trial. Yes, we want to get there, but we know that when that trial ends, at some point, another one will come. And so our endurance has to be more uh, eternally focused than just uh, temporally focused. Um, and, and, but here's the thing, we can endure. We can endure a one trial or we can endure all the trials because of what God has promised. Look at verse 12. Blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Notice that James says trials. It's plural. 
right? And not trial. God uses trials to test our faith, to strengthen our endurance, and to make us complete in Christ. This verse doesn't mean that we prove ourselves to God. This is not what he's talking about here, though. And I think this is something that, that is super important for us to, to, um, to understand what he's getting at here. We don't endure to earn the crown of life. That's not what James says. We endure because God has already promised to give it to us. That's a huge difference. It's a guarantee that's waiting for us, not something that can be taken away if we don't endure, if we don't, um, if we don't do our part in that. And so we, we endure, the motivation to endure is because of the promise that we've been given. The promise isn't held out only if we endure in that sense. So there's a big difference in our motivation. First Peter 1, 5 through 9. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The crown of life that is coming, right? You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We read this last week. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. God uses our trials for our good to make us perfect in Christ and to bring us to the fulfillment of his promise. We need this perspective because it helps us guard against uh, falsely accusing God and his motives in our trials. We need to have the right perspective on temptation when it comes. Look at verses 13 through 16. No one undergoing a trial should, should say, I am being tempted by God since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Here's some really important, this is a really important truth right here that we need to understand. God brings trials in order to, our, to strengthen our faith not to derail it. He tests us, but he never tempts us. He doesn't draw us away from himself and entice us to sin. He draws us to himself and helps us to deny sin. In Matthew 4 and Luke 4, talks about Jesus in the wilderness and um, tells us Jesus was tested in the wilderness by God, the Father. But he was tempted by Satan. He was tested by God, but he was tempted by Satan. But now hold on a second, because in verse 13 here, James says, God is not tempted, and Jesus is God. So how can he be tempted by Satan? How, how, can, how can this be true? There's a difference between temptation that's internal and temptation that's external. Paul Tripp says that it's, the, it's only ever the sin inside us that attaches itself to the sin outside of us. 
Jesus uh, had no evil desires, right? What does James say in verse 14? Each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Jesus had no internal evil desires. He was sinless. He was tempted externally by Satan, but there was nothing within himself to draw him away from his father and entice him to sin. And so he remained perfectly obedient to God in the midst of temptation. And that was necessary for us because we're guilty of what James says right here in verses 14 and 15. Our own evil desires entice us and draw us away from God toward the temptation and into sin against him. We needed Christ's perfect obedience on our behalf so that we could be declared righteous in, in Christ. And so if I sin in the midst of a trial, it's because I've ensnared myself, not because God made me do it. God may use trials to reveal my sin to me, but he never uses my trials to trip me up and to cause me to sin. I need to remember that God's purpose in trials, again, is to strengthen my faith and to produce endurance, not to weaken my faith and cause me to give up. God may use trials to discipline us in love, and he does, but he'll never use trials to deceive us and lead us into temptation. In fact, when temptation comes, what does God do? He offers us help. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to, uh, beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. You can endure the temptation because God will give you a way out of it. He will lead you away from temptation and toward himself, not away from himself and toward temptation. So we need to recognize uh, that the temptations that come from the external and appeal toward the internal desires of our heart that remain opposed to God's grace and goodness. That's a kindness of God to reveal those things to us, not so that we give in and say, well, yeah, God, God has grace for me. Paul says that, right? Should we go on sinning because grace abounds? By all means, no. What God does is shows us what we're prone to and reveals to us in kindness uh, the danger of temptation and sin because it leads to death and he gives us a way out. He does not tempt us because he is not evil. On the contrary, he's very, very good. And so we need in our trials to have this right perspective on God. Look at verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows God is good. God is good. He never gives us temptation, but every good and perfect gift comes from him like wisdom. James 1.5. That's a good and perfect gift from God. God is the father of lights. He's the creator of the sun, of the moon, of the stars. All of these things are good gifts that he's given to us. But the sun rises and sets. It gets shrouded by clouds, right? We've experienced that this week. The moon itself is, has a shadow that waxes and wanes. This is why we see it in full and crescent and in all of these different uh, phases. Some stars are dim, some stars are bright. But God 
is only light. In him there is no darkness at all. 1 John 1, 5. He doesn't change in brightness. He doesn't fluctuate in his character. His, he is steadfastly good, always. And that means all that comes down from him to us is steadfastly good and without so much as a hint of shadow or darkness. And we see this most clearly in Christ himself, right? Christ came down from the Father, John 6, 37 through 40. He's the true light that shines in the darkness and gives life to all who believe in him. John 1, 4 through 13. Jesus is God's good and perfect gift to us to rescue us from our sin and conform us to himself. And he does that in the midst of our trials. Romans 8, 28 through 30. This is the promise. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. This is God's purpose in our trials, is to conform us to Christ. So that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Notice that glorified is in the past tense there, even though it hasn't happened yet. But in Paul's mind, it's as good as done because of God's promise and his goodness and his faithfulness to us. So then James ties all this together in verse 18. By his own choice, talking about God here, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. If our own evil desires give birth to sin and death, and they do, we're told that, then God's own good desire gives birth to life. Praise God for that, right? And this is by his own choice, James tells us here. All over scripture tells us. Ephesians 2, right? Um, it's not something we earn. It's a good and perfect gift that he gives to us. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Guess what? Your evil desires have led you to death. In which you previously lived according to the ways of this world. You were pursuing worldliness. James talks about this too. According to the ruler of the power of the air, the tempter, the one who, who, who um, tries to draw us out away from God and into our sin. The spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But this glorious verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, James says by his own choice, he made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Again, past tense. So that in the coming ages, he might display immeasurable, the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Good and perfect gift not from works, so that no one can boast. Whether you're poor or rich, you don't boast in your lack of wealth or your, or your, your earthly things. You boast in Christ. 
and he gives life without showing favoritism. It doesn't matter if you're poor or rich. What matters is that you hear the word of truth, which is the gospel, and that you believe it. The gospel reveals that God gives us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's 1 Peter 1. And with that new spiritual life that we're given, and with that new spiritual life that we're given here on earth comes this promise, verse 12 here in James 1, of the crown of life, the final resurrection. So we can know that both gifts are certain because they've been given to us by a good God who never changes. And he cannot lie, Titus chapter 1, verse 2. The more we know this good God, the more we'll come to him in faith and rely on him to help us resist the evil desires of our own hearts, to flee from temptation, and to endure the trial with wisdom that we so desperately need. So how do we apply all this then to our present day, our, our present trial? Things are shifting so quickly between the federal and the state and the local levels. It's hard, it's hard sometimes to even keep up with, with what rules you're even in place right now. I think some people feel the strain more than others economically. I think some people um, might tend to want to think that, that the economy is the thing that will um, relieve us from this trial. We are definitely for human flourishing. We are definitely for, uh, and that requires a good economy and, and those kinds of things. But we need to understand just like James says about the rich and the poor here, um, money and economy, a uh, 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 stimulus check, whatever, you know, even getting a, a job back, that is not the ultimate relief that we are looking for from a trial. Can they help? Yes. But they won't relieve us from everything. Trials still remain. And so we need to keep that into perspective. Also, just the timing of this, it feels like forever, doesn't it? It feels like it's been years since we have seen each other face to face. I am weary of that. I know you are too, but it's been two months. And ultimately that is a minuscule amount of time compared to eternity, compared to the breadth of our life, which the Psalms tell us is only inches in a vapor, which James tells us withers away quickly. And so we need to keep that into perspective. We can cry out to God and say, Lord, this is hard. We don't have to deny the intensity that we feel, the longing that we feel to be together. But we also need to remember that two months or even six months or two years or 10 years or 20 years, whatever, or a lifetime of suffering, whatever that trial is, it is light and momentary, Paul calls it. Not even worth comparing to the weight of glory that is going to be revealed to us. We have to have that perspective. We have to understand that. And we only understand that when we continue to focus on who God is in the midst of these trials. We need to remember that there will be more trials, maybe even tougher trials. Maybe not for every one of us, but personally, we might get through COVID-19 and you could come down with a terminal illness. You might survive a, a pandemic, but something else could, could um, draw your days to a close here on this earth. Or we could all come back 
together and on the way to church, someone could get in an accident, lose their life. Nothing is guaranteed for us. There are more trials that will come after this one. So this one we can use as, as, um, as a honing of our spiritual endurance, as a honing of our dependence upon God, as a honing of our confidence in God, so that the next one that comes, uh, we will be able to endure and continue to endure. We need to focus on endurance for a lifetime, not just for a trial. We need to focus on endurance in the trial, but not just for that trial. It's for life until eternity comes. And endurance, we trade that in for the crown. We need to guard against division. It's an evil desire to elevate yourself over another. As we come back together, uh, there are going to be matters of conscience that we, we will differ in, and we need to be charitable with one another. We need to promote unity in the body. We need to humble ourselves, and we need to love one another. We need to fight against the evil desires to say, I'm right, you're wrong, or you're being overreactive about this, and separating ourselves from one another, dividing over uh, things that, that uh, we shouldn't be dividing over. So we need to guard against that. We need to recognize the inclinations of our heart and those evil desires that remain within us, and we need to ask God for help now uh, to guard us against the temptation to chase after those things. Paul says to Timothy, flee the evil desires of your youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, 2 Timothy 2.22. Um, if and when we do sin, don't blame God for it. The trial doesn't cause your sin. The trial only reveals what's already there, right? We've talked about this in Mark. Jesus says it's, it's not what's outside that defiles you. It's what's, what's within. So the trial is just the occasion for the sin. It's not the reason. It's not the cause. And so when that, that sin comes out, we can recognize that as a gift of God through the conviction of the Spirit to help us see that. We can repent of it, and we can turn back and trust God and, and, and continue on in endurance. We don't blame God for our sin. We actually come to him for help to be uh, released and relieved from it. We need to hold on to the promise that we've been given. The crown of life, if you're in Christ, it's guaranteed. It will be yours. And so we don't have to work, do the work of endurance uh, with this perspective of, I can't mess up because I will lose the crown. Knowing that the crown will be given to us at the end should propel us toward greater and greater endurance in freedom that we have in our union with Christ because we don't have to earn it. It's a free gift from God. It's a good and perfect gift. We need to remember that God is only ever good. And that means that anything that comes from God during this trial is also good. It's only good. And so we need to take an inventory. What has God given to us? What are the things that God has, has either allowed us to experience, has given us in, um, to, to, for relief, for enjoyment has helped us enjoy with or or as has actually used to discipline our hearts that's a good thing hebrews 12 look it up 
it is to produce a fruit and a harvest of righteousness in us. So how is God growing you in righteousness? How is God conforming you to Christ through this trial? It's only ever a good thing because he's only ever a good God. And so then that should lead us to be thankful again, not only for the trial, but for the one who has given it to us or has allowed it to happen in our lives and his, is, is guaranteed to walk with us through it. And we can be thankful for the new life and the hope that we have through the gospel of Jesus Christ that actually sets our hearts up to walk into a trial and endure it. At the end of a, of a life full of suffering for, for the sake of Christ, Paul wrote this in his final letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, or 4, 7 through 8. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord and the righteous judge will give me on that day. And not only me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. If you have loved Christ's appearing, if you have not seen him, yet you love him, First Peter, God has promised this crown of life to you. And because we're in Christ and because of God's promise, we too will come to a day when we can say these words along with Paul. I have fought the fight, the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And yet not I, but Christ in me. Amen. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you are, uh, you continue to use it to sharpen our, our minds, to shape our hearts, and to guard us against uh, ourselves and against the world around us and the temptations that seek to draw us away from you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, renew our minds and hearts in the hope we have in Christ and the promise of the Father through him in our union with him. Renew our minds and hearts this week, Lord, uh, in, in whatever comes. Uh, may we be focused on this new life we've been given in Christ and may we receive these things um, as good gifts from a good father who has no shifting or changing. And so we pray, Lord, that you would lead us and guide us, give us wisdom that we so desperately need, help us continue to endure, even as we long to be together, Lord, would you help us to walk slowly and carefully, uh, humbly, and uh, with great patience and wisdom, trusting that you are at work, not only in us, but even in those whom you've placed in authority over us, because you are the sovereign uh, creator and ruler of all things. Uh, nothing goes beyond you, Lord, and we're grateful that we can rest in that promise. And so today, even, I pray that as we go through the rest of this day and whatever may come, I pray that you would provide some relief for us, just simply uh, a deeper uh, love for Jesus and, and a deeper sense of his love for us. And we pray that you would help us to be able to... Um, uh, to encourage one another in the faith and in the endurance that's necessary as we continue to walk together, to pursue uh, righteousness, faith, love, and peace alongside one another with a pure heart that we've been given by God himself. We love you so much, and we thank you for this time together and for this day. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.